official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Well, last week, Abby kicked off our Advent series that we're calling Anticipate, and the title of her sermon last week was Learning to Wait. And since last Sunday, I've been contemplating and reflecting on how waiting has become somewhat of a lost art for us today, mainly because of the convenient technologies we have, like our, our smartphones, <laughs> where instead of focusing in on the thing we're waiting for, which creates the anticipation, instead of focusing in on that, we've learned to distract ourselves and avoid anticipation altogether. Um, I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, my wife was, was cooking us dinner, and I was starving. I was so hungry. I was so ready to eat. And, and she told me, we're short an ingredient. And so I got in my car, and I ran to the grocery store, and I picked up the ingredient. And I got in line, and there was a lengthy line. And instead of anticipating the meal that I was going to be eating, I decided instead to distract myself with my smartphone. I can't even remember what I was looking up, but I was hungry. I was uncomfortable. I didn't like feeling uncomfortable and hungry. And so instead of anticipating and looking forward to this meal, I got out my smartphone. I think I checked my email, maybe looked at the weather. And I realized that I missed out on something, that though it successfully distracted me from my hunger, I crowded out any room for anticipation. See, when we anticipate something, we appreciate it more when it finally arrives. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been anticipating like a concert? Or maybe it was a wedding you were going to go to. Or a holiday. Or maybe it was a new job or the birth of a child and you're anticipating something. See, we have a choice leading up to that moment that we can anticipate and we can focus our waiting or we can distract ourselves from it because it, sometimes anticipation feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? And our focused waiting helps us to appreciate. It helps us to appreciate. In fact, that's one of the things that anticipation does is it creates appreciation. But there's another thing that anticipation does. It creates expectations, and expectations are a good thing, but there are times when our expectations aren't fully realized. Have you ever expected or anticipated something and then it didn't quite pan out how you had hoped for? It didn't materialize in the way that you were believing for. And so sometimes anticipation can be disheartening. And one other reason that I believe we crowd out anticipation is because we're afraid of being let down, right? It's less painful to avoid anticipation altogether. And so we have this protection mechanism that when, when our hearts want to anticipate something, when our hearts want to expect and hope and believe for something, as human beings sometimes, if we've been disappointed before, which all of us have, we, we have this protection mechanism that avoids and tries to distract ourselves from anticipation. Um, a long time ago, 
when our first when our church first started in the infancy stages of our church, I remember one Sunday morning um, going to church and and I had just found out the week before that we had seven dollars in our bank account. <laughs> it was a church. And as a pastor who was one of the only people who knew kind of the books and, and where we were financially, and knowing that our rent payment was coming up in two weeks, and at that point we were renting a, little, a place on South Champlain Street here in Burlington. Rent was $1,500 a month. I was getting paid $250 a week as my salary, and I looked at that $7 and said, oh my, with two weeks left to go in the month, we got the $1,500 rent payment. I'm not going to get paid this week or probably next, but I'll have $7. Maybe Jesus could multiply the seven and create bread and fish or something. I don't know. But, but what happened that week is out of nowhere, we got a check for $2,000. Now, I wish I could tell you as a pastor and as a man of faith that I said, yes, God, is, this is a sign from God that he's going to meet all of our needs. I have anticipation. My faith is stirred. I have expectation. I have hope. I'm believing that God's going to come through for us. That was not my first thought. Instead, my first thought was, that's not even enough to get us through the end of the month. Why did I do that? Why did I think that first? It's because I did not want to be disappointed and get my hopes up again. Right? I was already feeling disappointed, uh, thinking, oh, we only have $7. And so it was a protection mechanism. But what happened is I missed out on a divine opportunity to appreciate what God was already doing. See, if you and I are not careful, what can happen to us is this. We can avoid anticipation and expectation and believing in God and hoping as a means of self-protection. And we can lose out on the joy of appreciating what God is already doing in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at an individual in Scripture who spent the first 30 years of his life anticipating and expecting God to show up. And there was so much expectation and anticipation for God to show up that he gave up all the comforts of life. He, he wore clothes made out of camel's hair, and he ate locusts and honey for his meals. He chose a career that didn't pay well. He decided he was going to baptize people in the Jordan River and be a voice in the wilderness and be somebody who proclaims and prepares the way of the Lord. But when he hit 30, he experienced a crisis of faith. He started to question, what if everything I'm anticipating, expecting, believing for, what if it doesn't materialize? And so he has a long-distance conversation with Jesus about it. And in case you haven't figured out who this person is, his name is John the Baptist. And here's how his story begins. Before John the Baptist was even born, an angel appeared to his father, Zechariah, who was a priest. One day, Zechariah was in the temple doing his priestly duties, and an angel, the angel Gabriel, appeared to his dad. And the angel told Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth, who's been barren her entire life, We'll have a son. And you're going to name him John. And he's going to bring all kinds of joy and delight to your life. He's going to be filled with the Spirit even before he's born. 
He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of the parents to the children. He's going to do all these amazing things. And Zechariah, this was all too good to be true for him. He'd been disappointed his whole life. He was not able to have children. And, and there was so much disappointment in his life that he, he chose not to believe this. And the angel tells him that as a sign, he's not going to be able to speak until this is all fulfilled. And so Zechariah has his own protection mechanism, right? He's, it's too good to be true, so he just chooses not to believe. And the angel says, well, yeah, well here's going to be a sign. You're not going to speak until this is fulfilled. Well, six months later, the same angel who visited Zechariah visits someone else. Her name is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the angel tells Mary that she's going to miraculously conceive and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus that he'll be called the son of the most high God, and he'll be a king who will reign forever and ever. And then the angel tells Mary, go to your cousin Elizabeth because she's also miraculously pregnant. And so Mary goes to find Elizabeth, and when she arrives to greet Elizabeth, it's, the gospel tells us that, that Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, and her baby, John, later to be called the Baptist, starts dancing around in her womb. That, that there's something about this news that he responds to. There's, it's almost as if like he, his whole life is going to be about anticipating, preparing the way for Jesus. And, and he knows it from when he's in the womb. Well, eight days later, John is born. And the family wants to name him after his dad, Zachariah. But Elizabeth says, no, 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 we can't name him that. His name is John. And so they all look over to Zechariah, who hasn't been talking. He's lost his voice. So they give him a tablet. And he writes down, his name is John. And it says in the gospel, as soon as he wrote that down, his tongue was loose and he began to speak again. And everyone was amazed and said, what child is this going to be? <laughs> Surely God's hand is on him. Well, then we fast forward 30 years. 30 years later, we find John, who's called the Baptist. He's baptizing people in the Jordan. He's preaching about repentance. One day, Jesus comes to John requesting baptism. And John contests. He doesn't feel good about it. He says, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, Jesus. See, he's, John is already aware of who Jesus is. But Jesus convinces him to baptize him, and so after Jesus is baptized, we're told that the heavens open, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, that's, that's a pretty dramatic event, right? If you were at a baptism, and someone was baptized, and the heavens opened, and a dove came down, and the, and the voice proclaimed, this is my beloved Son. Right, that's a pretty dramatic event. So if there was any doubt in John's heart, in these other people's heart, that kind of dissolved that. One of the Gospels tells us one day that Jesus walked by John, and John proclaimed, he looked at Jesus and proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John was fully aware of who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. He was God incarnate, God in flesh. And he was fully anticipating Jesus to bring salvation, deliverance, establish God's kingdom. Well, here's what happens. After the baptism, Jesus goes and fasts for 40 days in the wilderness, and he starts his 
earthly ministry. He calls the 12 disciples. He begins doing miracles, healing the sick, preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And it's during this time of Jesus' ministry where John the Baptist has a crisis of faith. And at first you have to think, well, what a strange time. Jesus just launched his ministry. All these great miracles are happening. These great things are happening. Why would John have a crisis of faith now? Well, Matthew's gospel lets us know what prompted John's crisis of faith. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Do I have the right guy? Maybe I'm wrong. These 30 years expecting, waiting, believing that Jesus is is the Lamb of God who has come to take the sin of the world. Can, can Can you just ask him if he's the one, or did I miss it? We're supposed to look for someone else. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I say, wait a minute, John, you were the one telling everyone that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lamb of God. Don't you remember his baptism? There's this powerful thing that happened. You heard a voice, and God declared that, that, that he was pleased in his son. Remember that time when Jesus walked by, and you proclaimed out loud, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your entire life, John, even from before you were born, was about anticipating the coming of Jesus. What do you mean, are you the one? Well, here we find John the Baptist. By the way, Jesus refers to John the Baptist as being greater than all the Old Testament prophets. But here he is starting to have doubts and question if Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Why? What happened? Well, Matthew 11 tells us. Because he's in prison. He's in prison. He had been arrested by King Herod. Herod had stolen his own brother's wife, and John spoke against this abuse of power and said it wasn't right. He told Herod, you can't steal your own brother's wife because you're king and you can get away with it. And so Herod locked him up and threw him in prison. And this was not how John anticipated uh, his life to happen. It wasn't how he anticipated the kingdom of God to come. After all, Jesus had said that he came to set the captives free, but John's in prison. And so he's wondering, maybe maybe what I've, I've anticipated and expected and hoped for, maybe it's not real because, yes, all these miracles are happening and people are, are being healed, but I'm in prison. Let me ask you this question. If If any of you ever had a crisis of faith, if you haven't yet, don't worry, it's coming. (laughs) You will have one. (laughs) And when you do, remember this, doubt doesn't always discredit faith. Sometimes it tests it and it can even strengthen it. And you might say, wait a minute, Adam, how can doubt strengthen our faith? Well, because doubt fuels questions. See, John is in prison and he's starting to doubt, is he the one? Maybe he's not. And then he says, he sends his friends to ask Jesus the question, are you the one? 
And it was that doubt that fueled that question to find those answers. And look how Jesus graciously responded to John's question. Jesus doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't make him feel ashamed for asking it. The next verse, verse 4 of Matthew 11 says this, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then Jesus says this little line, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. See, what John needed more than anything else was to simply be reminded of what he already knew, that Jesus is Lord. Because if Jesus is Lord, then none of what John was going through would have the last word. If Jesus was Lord, prison or not, John would be free to hope and anticipate again. To believe and be confident that Jesus would finish what he started. See, if, if, if Jesus, John, John needed to know this, that if Jesus was Lord, then his imprisonment wouldn't have the last word. That he could be confident that Jesus would finish the thing that he started. That he would set the world to right again. That he would restore and redeem and rescue and reconcile. See, oftentimes when we have a crisis of faith, it's not because we think that God doesn't answer our prayers. Oftentimes when you and I have a crisis of faith, it's because he does answer prayers. He answers everyone else's prayers, but we're in prison. <laughs> Right? That's what causes a crisis in faith. Jesus says, tell John, the lame are healed, the dead are raised, all these amazing things. And John's probably like, yeah, but, but you, you came to set the captives free, and I'm, I'm in prison. But all John really needed was be, to be reminded that Jesus is Lord, because if Jesus is Lord, then his, his, his imprisonment doesn't get the last word. That he's free to anticipate to hope that Jesus is going to finish what he started. See, here's the thing, that you and I are, are really not that different from John, really. Um, we have moments in our lives when we feel trapped, when we feel imprisoned, when we're filled with doubt. We feel disappointment. We feel let down by God. We see the brokenness in our lives. We see the brokenness in our world, and we ask this question, is Jesus really, Lord, is he really who he says he is? Because there's a lot of brokenness in my life, and, and, and I still feel captive in some levels. And I look around the, the world I live in, and it just seems broken and sin-torn. And I thought, I thought he was going to restore, and it doesn't look restored. I thought he was going to redeem and reconcile and rescue. And what happens to us is we retreat to a place of self-protection where we stop anticipating and expecting God to show up. We convince ourselves that, well, maybe with the, everything I've been anticipating and expecting God to do and, and, and to the healing that I expected him to bring, it's, it's not happening, and, and I can't handle that disappointment anymore, so I'm going to retreat to a place where I don't anticipate and expect him to come anymore. And more than anything else, what we really need is just to be reminded of what we already know to be true, that Jesus is Lord. See, that's what Advent does. 
It's one of the things that, that, that we can appreciate about Advent is Advent reminds us of who Jesus is. It invites us to anticipate and expect his coming, to believe that he's going to finish what he started, that the things that are imprisoning us in our world do not get the last word. That's what Advent does. Advent frees us to hope again that Jesus is going to finish what he started. Because listen, if Jesus is Lord, then sickness doesn't get the last word. If Jesus is Lord, your broken marriage doesn't get the last word. If Jesus is Lord, poverty doesn't get the last word. Man, I think we need more Pentecostals in our church. Just so you know, our little Pentecostal section is right in this area. If you have Pentecostal friends that come to our church, that's where they'll sit. (laughs) If Jesus is Lord... Listen, if Jesus is Lord, your anxiety doesn't have the last word. If Jesus is Lord, your disability doesn't have the last word. If Jesus is Lord, your your struggling career doesn't have the last word. If Jesus is Lord, all the strife in your relationships, they don't have the last word. If Jesus is Lord, your loneliness doesn't have the last word. If Jesus is Lord, your depression doesn't have the last word. Listen, if Jesus is Lord, then even death doesn't get the last word. That's that's what Advent does. It reminds us of who Jesus is, and it reminds us. It says, hey, you are free to hope and anticipate because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. See, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it because we're surrounded by brokenness in our own lives, in, in, in the world. But that won't last forever. The only thing that lasts forever is his kingdom to which there will be no end, Scripture tells us, right? Can I read one more verse to close and then we'll, we'll sing a worship song together? Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. What hopes, who hopes for what they have already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of longing. And we can either distract ourselves because it's uncomfortable, or we can focus our waiting. And if we focus our waiting, we'll appreciate that time all the more when it finally arrives. 
And so my job this morning is just to encourage you, what will it take for you this Advent season to be free to hope again? See, I'm, I'm not naive. I know that you've been disappointed just like I have in life. There's all kinds of disappointments that we face, and we retreat to this safe place of protectionism where we say, I don't want to hope too much for God to come in my life and and change our world and and change my family and my relationships and my job and everything else. I don't want to hope, get my hopes up, and so I'm just going to hang out over here and not anticipate, not expect, and then I'll just be pleasantly surprised if God comes through. But what that does is it robs us of the joy we get to appreciate God working in our lives. So what will it take for you this Advent season to be free to hope again? To anticipate, to expect God to show up. Maybe for some of you, you just need to take your questions and doubts to Jesus, like John did. He he won't rebuke you for that. He's confident enough in who he is that if you question him, he's going to be okay. If you have doubts, if you, if you are frustrated, you can bring those to Jesus. And, and he'll respond to you the same way he responded to John, with grace. Perhaps you just need to be reminded that Jesus is Lord. That's what's going to free you to hope again, to anticipate, to expect. You just need to be reminded what you already know to be true, that Jesus is Lord. I pray that that happens for you this Advent season. No matter what challenges and difficulties and what's entrapping you and imprisoning you and filling your heart with doubts, that it will not have the last word because Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Lord, Advent season is a time when it's so easy to to distract ourselves of the longing that's in our hearts. We can go to Christmas parties at work and we can uh, decorate and we can buy gifts and we can uh, plan get-togethers and make cookies and do all these things. And, and sometimes we even use those things to distract ourselves because we have this uncomfortable pain in our heart that we don't want to anticipate or expect anything anymore because we've just been disappointed too many times. For other of us, we, we feel trapped and imprisoned just by life circumstances and We have doubts in our heart. Lord, I pray today that there would be a divine exchange that takes place in our lives as we open up the palms of our hands and just offer you the things that we need to let go of so that we can embrace everything that you want to give us. God, I pray that you would help us and give us the courage to anticipate you showing up in our lives this Advent season in unexpected ways. So Lord, I pray for every heart here that has been beaten and and bruised and and battered. Lord, I just declare over them that those things that are doing that will not have the last word in their lives because Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is going to finish what he started. He's going to restore all things. So Lord, we set our hearts on that this morning and we pray this Advent season that you would Give us the confidence and the courage we need to to believe and anticipate and expect you to show up. Even in the dark, kind of dreary places of our lives. Because that's what you do. And we'll, we'll praise you this Advent season. And when Christmas comes, we will celebrate 
when New Year's comes, we will celebrate a new beginning, a new start. But Lord, we pray that that anticipation starts now in our hearts. Even that the walls that Ian talked about would just start to tumble and crash down as you burst through. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand up together and we'll sing one last song of worship. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.